turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark chapter 1. And, and if you can put a thumb there, also Acts chapter 8. Starting with um, Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. It should be marked. Now, if we run out of seats, someone can sit in the baptismal. It's kind of like a, a little pool up here, you know. <laughs> It's very relaxing in there. Uh, you'll just have to get out when it's time for the real usage there. But uh, you may feel awkward sitting in there, so maybe that won't work. But. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, and he will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Drop down to verse 8. Speaking of Jesus, he said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, this, uh, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see the ministry of John the Baptist. We see the uh, onset of Jesus' ministry there in Mark chapter 1. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 8. And this is a baptism that takes place after the Lord has ascended back into heaven, what we would call the early days of the church. And it involves um, Philip, starting verse 26. Starting verse 26, I'm not going to read all these verses. We'll skip one or two as, again. Starting verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So that would be uh, kind of over on the Mediterranean Sea coastline there. And so he rose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet, uh, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot, uh, which was a miracle in and of itself. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guide me? Well, he goes on to uh, believe in the Lord, so drop down to verse um, 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch, who had now put his faith in Christ, said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot stand still. So both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him. Lord, we thank you again for the gift of baptism. We can understand some of what you've written, and some, Lord, will understand more when we get to heaven, but we pray that you would just anoint this time. Your word we know is anointed. We know it's settled forever in heaven. Lord, we pray that you just... Every minute of this service would bring you honor and glory. 
and us deeper into our relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So John, who's often called John the what? Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist. There was the Baptist church wasn't there then. But, um, and he really, the better title would be John the Baptizer, the one, John the one that was immersing people. Uh, so John comes and he preaches repentance and that people must turn from their sin and then be baptized. Now this was prior to, John started his ministry prior to Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. And then John would later point to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, asked John to baptize him publicly. And then the father there, as we just saw, testifies that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, and then the Spirit descends down upon Jesus. Now, post-resurrection, that's, you look at the Ethiopian eunuch, that is a post-resurrection baptism, and it starts at Pentecost, there when the church and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church, at that day of Pentecost, starting there, and ever after, the apostles, and then evangelists, and pastors, and church elders, they would begin baptizing all who would believe. And that has continued for the last 2,000 years, exactly as Jesus commanded it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Let's take a quick look at those verses. And so this is what Jesus commanded to go and make disciples, disciples, followers of Jesus, not just converts, not just a sinner's prayer, but disciples of Jesus of all the nations, not just in Israel, but all the nations to the othermost part of the world, baptizing them. Baptism was commanded as part of the process of you come to Christ, then you are baptized in the name of what? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And even when we do baptism, you'll hear today, I will say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus commanded. So we just follow what he says. Teaching them to observe all things I requested? Maybe commanded them. It's going to be hard to truly observe, and that word observe in the Greek, uh, where it says observe here, it means to tend to carefully, to guard or to keep. That's what it means. Jesus said to tend to this very carefully, pastors, evangelists, shepherds, church leaders, tend to this very carefully, guard it, keep it, to obey the command. It's going to be hard to obey the other commands of Christ without obeying this first command of being baptized. The desire and the command of Christ was to make disciples, to turn people from sin and from themselves to faith in Christ, then surrendering that life in service to Christ. That's what a disciple does. They serve the Lord, servant of the Lord. And in that order, a disciple will first be converted and then baptized into Christ, and we are to help as the church facilitate this until the Lord returns. Now, before we look at the spiritual implication of baptism and what baptism accomplishes in the life of one who takes this obedient step, let's understand, let's understand a little bit of the background of how God prepared and introduced baptism that Jesus would then leave with the apostles. Because God had been preparing, just like he had been preparing John the Baptist and preparing the way for John the Baptist, he had been preparing the world for, for baptism, for what it, would, what it would mean to a genuine conversion. In the Old Testament, 
or what is known as uh, the Tanakh, there was no specific ceremony that looked like, so if you, if, you, if you read all through the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, there's no ceremony that looks like the baptisms that we do. You won't find it in the Old Testament. There's nothing that looks just like today's baptism or the one that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan or the ones that John was doing. When John was bringing people down in the Jordan River and immersing them fully in the river, it was a sign of repentance. However, in the Old Testament, even though there's no baptism that looks like John's, which looks the same as what we'll do today, there were many types and foreshadows of baptism via the use of water that are understood now in hindsight, or we're looking back, now we see the types and foreshadows that were in the Old Testament before baptism was given. You had the ritual cleansing and use of water that was required for the priesthood. They had to wash their hands before certain ceremonies. The hands had to be perfectly clean. You know, even in the Passover meal, there's the hand washing that takes place in that Passover meal. Of course, Jesus took it a step further and washed what? The feet. Um, but they, before they could perform certain priestly duties, there had to be this ritual cleansing. There was the required cleansing of water if you touched a dead body. There was a required cleansing with water uh, for certain infectious disease, such as like uh, leprosy. So you had each of these things, and they are just examples of others that you'll see if you read the Old Testament. Maybe now that you, you've heard today, you might even spot, oh, that involves water, that involves water. Oh, that's a ritual cleansing. There, it's a, there's quite a bit uh, in the Old Testament, but not this baptizing down in the water, bringing someone back up. That uh, is unique to when John the Baptist comes along and then Jesus continues it with the apostles. The children of Israel, well, they had to wash their clothes as a means of sanctification. Remember when jo Moses gave the law in Exodus chapter 19, the children of Israel had to wash all their clothing before that law-giving day. God said everything had to be washed. Peter, in 1 Peter 3.21, he writes that the worldwide flood that Noah and his family survived was a picture and a type of baptism. Did you know that? The worldwide flood um, was a type and picture of the baptism that would later come after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you could think of Noah as pastor of a small little church of eight, right? Talk about there ain't, there ain't many, many believers in the neighborhood uh, at that time, right? Church of eight, nobody was coming to church. Nobody was coming to Christ. Nobody it's just him and his family were the last people left that said, we believe in the true living God. But this little tiny church uh, went through the flood, and Peter tells us it was a type or a foreshadow or a picture of baptism because that little church was drenched by water, but they didn't die from it. Your baptism is not a death thing, it's a living thing, right? So it was a type, it was a foreshadow. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, Get this, Paul says that when Israel passed through the Red Sea, that was a picture of baptism. As they passed through the Red Sea, now this one really excites me. As I was studying, uh, this, this picture of Israel going through the Red Sea as a picture of baptism was really cool about this. It's The order is very important because Israel, first, before they passed through the water, they applied blood to the doorpost. 
The blood was applied, then they passed through the water. Isn't that cool? The blood was applied, then they passed through the water. And so that Passover lamb had to be shed first, then they passed through the waters, and that was a picture of baptism. Conversion first, uh, you know, baptism second. The blood covering first, the water covering followed. Now, but all of these are types and foreshadows involving water, involving sanctification, and cleansing. They were all pointing to a specific baptism ceremony that did not exist yet in the Old Testament. They had not seen this baptism of people walking down. and So they were using these different water ceremonies, or God was using these different foreshadowings, like the Red Sea or the cloud over Israel was also a picture of baptism, according to Paul. These things were foreshadows, but they hadn't yet been told. All right, everybody down into the water. You've put your faith, Lord, be dipped, come back up, and now walk in newness of life. This would come later. So now when John comes along to prepare the way for Jesus, he comes at a time of what we would call prophetic intersection, an intersection of time. When John comes along, there's an intersection of time because there's been from Malachi to Jesus coming on the scene. Remember, John and Jesus are only six months apart. They're cousins. John precedes the Lord. There's 400 years of silence from Malachi to the coming of John's ministry, and of course Jesus is born around that exact same time. There's this 400 years of silence. But John is an important figure in this intersection of the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because John is the last of the Old Covenant prophets. Did you know that? John's the last of the Old Covenant prophets. You know, they say, are you Elijah? They ask him these questions because uh, he is the, of the same cut as the Old Testament prophets. He's before Jesus' ministry. So John, he would be in the same line of Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. But there's a big gap between them and him. And all of these men were always pointing to the revelation of Jesus Christ and all of the cleansing ceremonies, all the ritual water things, they were all uh, pointing to the types and shadows that would be fulfilled completely in Jesus, who himself is the new covenant. He fulfills it all. He's all the types. It, so all, you know, last Sunday, I preached a message uh, that some of you were here uh, on Easter Sunday, and we looked back at kind of all the things that pointed to the coming of the Passover lamb. And uh, later I was like, sometimes when the Lord lays on my heart what to teach, I, th I think more about it after the fact than I do. I mean, I do a lot of study of it prior, but I'll think a little bit more after that, like, why did you have me do it this way? And then I was, you know, thumbing through my Bible, and I was reminded in the book of Luke that when Jesus was risen from the dead, he's walking on the road to Emmaus, he teaches a little message to two guys about from Genesis all the way to the cross, how it all was about him. And God just reminded me that it's always all about him. And when you're reading the Old Testament, and you're reading in other parts of the scriptures, just be looking and say, Lord, how, how do I see Christ here? 
How do I see the Lord Jesus Christ? Because everything was pointing towards him, all of these things uh, that would come. And then he comes along, and he would fulfill and open the eyes of, oh, that's what God meant. That's what the waters meant. That's what the Red Sea meant. That's what these different things were telling us. And then when you see Jesus and the apostles later, the Holy Spirit would give them the insights and they would write the epistles and they would, they would add this information for the church to say, now when you study your Bible, you really understand that it's all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Now something interesting had been established by the Jewish religious leaders, similar time frame of when John comes on the scene, maybe a little bit, but we know it was in that same general time frame, the Jewish religious leaders, they had established something that was not in the law, but it had become the definitive practice if someone wished to become Jewish. So you're, you're born Jewish, if you have Jewish blood in you, you didn't have to do this, but if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish and you wanted to worship in the temple, you would have to first submit and so the religious leaders of that day, you have to submit to being uh, interrogated by them, a series of interrogations where they would test your motives for wanting to be Jewish. Then once you cleared that bar where they said, all right, your motives have been cleared, then for the men, they had to be circumcised. Gee, that sounds great, fun, uh, right? <laughs> then, seven days after circumcision, they had to be fully immersed in water. And it was a worse ceremony than this because it took place, you didn't wear a whole lot of clothes, let me just say that. You had to be fully immersed in water, and then, and only then, after all that, the interrogation, the circumcision, and to be fully immersed in water, then you could be Jewish by grafted into being Jewish, and then you could go worship in the temple. But that was the process. Now, that was not a process that was found in the law. This was man-made by the religious leaders. So along comes John, similar time period. The Holy Spirit says, John, I want you to do an immersion of a different type. John comes along, and the Holy Spirit gives him a message that I want you to baptize people, immersing them, but you're not to interrogate them, you're not to circumcise them, you're just to say, repent and turn from sin and come right down the water with your clothes on and be baptized fully immersing them. Isn't that cool? I don't know if you knew that or not, but this was taking, these were taking place. So you can imagine, many Jews were also repenting. Now, they didn't need to be fully immersed, supposedly, to enter the temple, but many Jews were repenting, not just Gentiles. John was baptizing Jewish people and Gentile people in the same crowds. They were coming. Many Jews were coming into the water and when they did, it was an acknowledgement, especially of the Jewish people, that they were just as unclean as Gentiles. This did not sit well with religious leaders. Right? Hold on a second. Time out. What are you running to John for? You're Jewish. You already can enter the temple. I'm not being baptized to enter the temple. I'm being baptized to enter heaven. You see the difference? Well, not that baptism saves. We'll get to that in just a second. But... It was a profession of a changed heart. So John leads them into the water. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they weren't happy about this at all, but it was an outward testimony 
of what had God had done on the inside. And this also was not commanding the law. This was the Holy Spirit now igniting the ministry of Jesus. So what about the baptism of Jesus himself? A lot of people say, why was Jesus baptized? He didn't have sin, right? Why was Jesus baptized? His baptism brings the types and shadows that were in the future, although no one knew that in the past, into prophetic fulfillment, as well as all future baptisms would be him would be a picture of him as well. Does that make sense? So he completes the old types and shadows, but he also is, by the way, they're not offended in leaving. They're going to get ready for baptism, just so you know. <laughs> they're like, they're not saying, I'm, not, I'm done with this whole baptism thing. They're, they're actually getting into this baptism thing, just so, just so everyone knows. So if half the crowd leaves, then we've grown the baptism uh, even further than I thought. Now in the Passover... The lamb's blood was shed, and as I mentioned, then Israel passes through the water. Here, though, because Jesus is the lamb, Jesus is the lamb, this is an interesting thing of the order here. Remember Old Testament? Passover blood is shed, then you go through the Red Sea, right? Here, the Passover lamb is baptized, then he sheds his blood. The order is reversed. Why? Well... It's because Jesus is sinless. He can be baptized not as a profession of faith, but as the expression of all faith. He shed his blood after baptism. Everyone else gets baptized after they take on the shed blood. But he, sh he gets baptized, then he goes and sheds his blood because he was sinless. His baptism had nothing to do with expressing his salvation. He is salvation. So he's baptized, then he goes and sheds his blood. And that picture also, why else is Jesus baptized? Well, because the baptism also, it identifies Jesus Christ is identifying with sinners here. Because he's going to take on the cross the sins of the world, he's identifying with sinners, but he's not sin. Because he hasn't shed, his, he's able to be baptized before, but it's an identification, it's symbolic that he's going to take on the sins of the world. And even the baptism itself is a picture of he's upright crucifixion, he's down, buried in the grave, and he's brought back up into what? Ascension. So the whole, the whole picture, cross, grave, ascension, is all there in the actual baptism. So he's also doing a picture. Jesus was also not just the shepherd and lamb, but he's also God's prophet. So he is prophesying in the actual ceremony. It's a picture type of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, as the waters drench Christ and he comes up, then what happens? The dove of the Holy Spirit. So you see our logo back here. It's got the dove in it. It's got the cross. It's got the word. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit coming down because the Holy Spirit did come down upon Jesus. And there you have the Trinity, by the way. The Father speaks, the Son is standing there drenched, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is, of course, exactly what Jesus says, to, to uh, perform the baptism in that way. And what's really cool for us is Jesus is also representing what God wants to do. When we're baptized, when we've been converted, then we've been baptized, God wants us to be drenched by the Holy Spirit. 
and go forward in faith. And lastly, this is God's witness, because God says the speaking there, this is my son in whom I well pleased. The baptism of Jesus was God's witness to the world that this was indeed, make no mistake about it, his son. Of course, the cross and the resurrection would, would further emphasize that, but the voice of God was part of that fourfold witness. Now, all this brings us to the baptism that Jesus uh, told the disciples to carry out. And as I mentioned at the beginning, the baptism the apostles would begin to follow would look just like John's baptism. There was no difference as far as the way. There was difference in that Jesus now added to it, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But John's baptism was the same. Down in the water, baptize them, bring them up. Jesus says, do it the same way, but say it in these words, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this Greek word uh, for baptism, it means baptizo, and it does mean full immersion, fully drenched. Uh, but with the added meaning and significance that we are following Christ and following his finished work. And the apostles, they wasted no time following the commands of Jesus. No time. By the way, in the last week, we've had a great Acts chapter 2 week. In the last 10 or 11 days, we had a Wednesday service where we took the Lord's Supper. That's, Acts. That's also uh, mentioned in Acts chapter 2, the breaking of bread. We had um, the preaching of the gospel last Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. We had this past Wednesday night, we had a fellowship night with the very spiritual food trucks out there, right? <laughs> but it wasn't about that. It was about brothers and sisters. And I had people come to me saying, this was so good because I met families that I had never met, and we kind of passed just dropping our kids off, and we didn't know each other. And so fellowship was encouraged in Acts chapter 2. They, and then one of the other things that happens in Acts chapter 2 is a whole bunch of people get baptized, so we've had kind of an Acts chapter 2, 10 or 11 days, which has been great. But the apostles, they wasted no time doing what Jesus commanded. As a matter of fact, the first major evangelistic outreach, which they didn't know was going to be an evangelistic outreach, Peter got up to preach, Holy Spirit falls upon the place, and there's this post-ascension baptism. And Peter and the apostles, they preached there at Pentecost, and 3,000, approximately 3,000 people came to Christ. You talk about a great Sunday service, Right? 3,000 or, or so come to Christ. And yet, immediately, right after they all come to Christ, they're all water baptized. All of them. There was not any delay. Archaeological work on the south side of the temple that's taken place. And if you, you get a chance to go to Israel, and as I mentioned, we're, we're Lord willing, we're going in 2019. And uh, again, for my, my second trip there, but I. Uh, would love to take others. And if you, if you go there, you'll see the archaeological sites all over the place. They've got digs going on everywhere, and they're always finding new things. But the, on the south side of the temple, they had uncovered a significant number of Jewish mikvahs, uh, which are they're large baptistry-like containers. They look like a baptistry made out of stone, so carved out. And they were these baptistry-like containers that were used by Jewish worshipers to clean and purify themselves before they went into the temple. So it was all ritual cleansing before they'd go into the temple. And it's believed by many scholars that on the day of Pentecost, these mikvahs got turned into Jesus' baptism. That instead, it wasn't about entering the temple, it's just that the apostles said, hey, we got a lot of baptistries, they didn't call them that, but you know, we got a lot of baptistries here, and so they would just start baptizing those 3,000 because Pentecost took place right there 
in the middle of Jerusalem. And all through the book of Acts, the process of conversion followed by baptism continued as it does this day as we just follow the command of Jesus and his example, his example of being baptized. Because Jesus said, follow me. What I do, you do. Now, we can't rise from the dead, but we can be baptized into his resurrection, first with conversion and then this follow of obedience. Now, so what's, as we wrap this up, what's the personal implication and impact on our lives as we follow the Lord's command? Well, just like the Ethiopian, just like that Ethiopian eunuch that was baptized right there in a remote place, the rest of our journey in life start symbolically as we step into these waters. The rest of the journey. Because the Ethiopian unit, he had a further journey in his Christian life after baptism. But that first step was that obedient step. The blood of Jesus applied through a prayer of faith and repentance, that's the substance. Let me say that again. The blood of Jesus applied through a prayer of repentance, that's the substance. Baptism is the symbol. The substance is your conversion. The symbol is to say, I now identify with Christ and I go into the world, I go into the water and then into the world with a public commitment and a public profession. Now, baptism is not necessary for salvation. Think about people with a deathbed conversion, airplane going down, 9-11, right? Lots of people have gotten saved in the last seconds of their life. Praise the Lord for that, right? I hope people that have denied Jesus their whole life get saved. And we've seen family members in my family get saved. Truly, not everybody gets a deathbed, so it isn't good to wait for that. But there are deathbed conversions, and deathbed conversions don't get to have baptism, but they still go to heaven. The thief on the cross did not get baptized. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, but anyone who's able to be baptized will count it necessary to do so. They wouldn't say, oh, well, if you don't have to be baptized to be saved, then I don't really need to be baptized. No, no disciple of Jesus would, would say that. He would say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Any reluctance or resistance to being baptized really needs to be examined in anyone's heart. Say, well, why would you not do this? This is expressly the final words before he goes into heaven. He says, go do this, be baptized. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say, Luke 6, 46. There's no good reason for a believer not to be baptized. All believers should be baptized. Matter of fact, if you're saved and never been baptized, and you say, God put it on my heart, I'm getting him with my clothes on today. You will, we would do that. That's, the, you know, that's, that's okay. It's going to be a wet ride home, but, but other than that, you know, <laughs> people have survived bigger things than that. I said at the outset, if we don't obey water baptism, we're bypassing the primary step of discipleship, this first primary step. And if God commands it, we can be sure it has more impact than we really understand. Would you agree with that? That there's some mystery involved that God says, look, do it. There's more involved here than I'm going to tell you, but you'll understand some of it when I see you face to face. And I believe that's the case. But just as the dove came down on, on Christ, the Spirit will bless and anoint those who take this obedient step in life. And we also, we also willingly choose to publicly identify with Christ with baptism. 
Uh, and we understand we're dying to ourselves, and we understand that we're being resurrected into his life, and we're going forward in resurrection power. This is why infant baptism is not found in the scriptures, and it has no spiritual value, because babies aren't deciding to follow Christ. At least there's nothing that can be supported in Scripture about this. And there's really some godly men that, and, and some of the fathers of the faith that even you know, went with the whole infant baptism thing. But there's nothing in Scripture that supports it. I'm just saying that you'll not find anywhere. It's all people that are willingly, like the Ethiopian eunuch, like Cornelius, like the many that came and repented, they had to choose to follow Christ and choose to be baptized. Nobody can make that choice for us any more than anyone can make a choice of salvation for us. And we dedicate and consecrate children through prayers of dedication. We do baby dedications, but that's not baptism. That's just praying, God, please use us to help guide them to you. That's all we're saying. But for those being baptized today, this is a testimony and a demonstration that you are following Christ the rest of your life, that he will honor what you're doing today by obedience. And the Spirit wants you to not only be baptized today, but to keep telling people what Jesus has done in your life. This is a celebration, but it's also to go forward and say, I have been set free. And these waters that kind of wash off dirt are just a testimony saying, God has washed me clean.